Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Alia Play, a new generation game aggregator which provides over 5,000 games with only one integration. Partnering with 80 game providers, Alia is offering top iGaming content while positioning itself as a tech leader with Amazon Web Services and Java-based platform. Alia's goal is to create an innovative and fun experience for the players. To find out more, visit alia.com. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Play, an industry-leading content provider of slots, live casino, bingo, and virtual sports. Pragmatic Play excels at creating an immersive, engaging, and mobile-focused experience for players with over 200 HTML5 games that are available in all currencies, 31 languages, and all major certified markets. Discover more at pragmaticplay.com. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Karolina Perot. I'm a founder and CEO of SharePlay, and I'm your podcast for iGaming Next, uh, podcast host for iGaming Next. Uh, it's been a while since one of my podcasts came out, but I'm happy to be back now. Um, and today I've got um, Savas Felas with us. Uh, thanks for making time, Savas. Thanks for having me. Uh, so Savas is a, a founder and managing director of Linder Media, uh, the company behind one of the most exciting and fastest growing uh, casino brands in the UK. Um, I'm not going to go through his whole bio because I would like him to take that and tell us a little bit about his journey. Uh, but we met during the pandemic and throughout the pandemic, we remain Zoom friends. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, I, I really value our relationship and, you know, you, you feel strongly about the founder support. And I think... Uh, you know, talking to you uh, just exposed me to so many th cool things about your company that I wanted to give it a bit more spotlight. Um, you know, you did get Rising Star Awards, so it's not like people don't know who Mr. Q are, but I think maybe they don't know all the cool aspects and how great your guys are doing. So, which is why I wanted you to, to have you as a guest. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's start from the beginning, you know. How, what's Mr. Q? When did it get founded? You know, how how did you... Come, come to founding uh, online casino operators. A pretty brave decision. Uh, we've also met in person, so we're not just Zoom friends. Oh yes, of course. Uh, since then, <laughs> uh, so um, I, I have a, a background in in media, um, performance media, so direct response media, and um, I used to work in an agency, and we we were down the road from Betway. Um, we're next door to them in in Camden, and one of my old bosses said, uh, "This this company is pretty big, um, and affiliate marketing at that time was really big." 
And he said, I, if someone had an affiliate site right now for reviews, it's a great opportunity. I knew he'd never do it. And so I took a week off work and did it um, just to kind of practice my own direct response marketing skills. And it kind of, it kind of evolved from there. Um, and the natural progression from being an affiliate is to be a white label operator. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, that, and we, we had sites with 888, Nectan, um, net were the main ones. We, we were big partners with 888, but being a partner and white labeling out a solution, it's, it's, it's good. It's really good. And you really kind of get, get to exercise a lot of skills, but it's so limiting. And whenever you go back to your provider, there's usually some sort of, problems that you're going to face in order to get to where you want to get to go because they might not have the same uh, agenda as you and Mm. so that that kind of creates frustration and ultimately we said let's just build it ourselves let's just take away the element of headache and we'll be responsible for our own headaches and we knew nothing about building software nothing Um, and we basically set out on that journey and it took us about three years to build it on a bootstrap budget whilst maintaining an existing business. And then we launched it in August 2018. And we, 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 when we did this, I should say that we, we noticed certain problems um, with the suppliers that we were using, not through any fault of their own, but because of when they were kind of, um, when they were developed, uh, the technology moves really fast. And one of the issues was that the technology was a bit, old and archaic they were dealing with a lot of legacy a lot of technical debt that was likely not to get paid back so we said let's build it with the most sophisticated architecture let's build it with what they potentially view as their utopia let's build their utopia Mm. Um, and that's exactly what we did and we launched it in august 2018 and it has literally grown every single month well i know i i I talked to some providers and you know the growth is pretty staggering and especially concerning your UK brand. So in the times where you hear about brands exiting UK uh, for mm. a new starter to come in and do well, I think the question is, which you know I titled my podcast with, how, how do you do it? Is it even possible with this increasing pressure on regulation and you know um, uh, rising prices from suppliers and you know all the stuff affecting profits? Uh, how, how do you go about it? How did you manage to achieve growth and, and at that level? It's, it is an aggressive landscape. It is very tricky to navigate. Um, but I think if your fundamentals are really strong, so you have good technology and you know what you can and can't do, I think it becomes a little bit easier to navigate. And and being late to the party isn't necessarily a bad thing. Everyone early on was like, "What are you doing? Your the, the boat, the, the ship has sailed. Like you shouldn't be doing this." Um, and there's something to be said for being late to the party. I kind of usually compare it to being the younger sibling of a big family where all of your siblings have done all the things that siblings do, tattoos and piercings, and they get in trouble with them and you see it and you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to avoid that. And we did that. Um, and so being late was, was, was an advantage for us. Um, but it, it, it's led by technology. I think there's a big philosophy on our side to not think like a casino Mm. there's a time and a place for it um but fundamentally we need to think like technologists like data scientists because 
if we think like casinos, we're going to inherit casino problems. If we think like a data scientist and a, and a developer and an engineer, we'll be able to navigate things better. Automations, you know, relying on your system, having the peace of mind to know that when you say you do something from a compliance or a regulatory point of view, that the system is competent, it's been stress tested, and it will do it hands down. And there's even backups of, of that if that fails. So I think it's the, the, the technology piece is a big, big thing for me. So, you know, following up on technology, I know a little bit about that because, you know, I've seen a little bit of a product and it is quite impressive, especially, you know, I'm product manager from background. So when I see a pretty cool back office, I get excited, um, you know, so you, you really do uh, bet on proprietary technology and building everything in house. I know that you guys have plans to launch a game studio with um, a really cool concept for daily game. Can you tell us a little bit about that, you know, proprietary technology, but also about your plans for games and how you go about it? Yeah, the proprietary thing is 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 exactly that. You you control your own destiny, and an, another one of the kind of overarching philosophies that I try and cultivate is you live and die by product. And you'll know from your own product development uh, and your background that product is kind of key to everything. Mm. Um, and so, I uh, my job is is cultivating that continually now as the company grows. We were. 57 60 people now so i have to continue to make sure that they are also anchored to that idea um and then at the same time we we want to we want to build on that and so we've got a studio called goosicorn which is a goose with a unicorn mm, um, that's good. <laughs> uh, well the whole point of a game studio is that it's supposed to be fun and every time i mention goosicorn it usually gets a smile uh, and you can go onto the goosicorn.com website and you can just click on this goose um and, and and that's again a philosophy that we're going to try and maintain with that fun and exciting um so that you're going to trademark that name you're going to trademark that name i think yeah i should do actually and <laughs> you know all about trademarks uh yeah i'm uh, so we have that and that was the initial plan the initial plan when we launched it was uh, to build a bingo platform uh, to build an affiliate platform and to also build a content studio but you often kind of make compromises, especially when you know nothing about software development. So two of those ideas went out the window, and now we're at a stage where we can reintroduce them um, with that startup mentality. So Goosey Corn, uh, there's a few games in development. There's an RGS in development, and that will be exclusive on Mr. Q. And there is also a daily free game, uh, which it basically, I mean, I, yeah, it, it's lightning roulette as a daily mm. free game. Um, mm -hmm. So we're really trying to run with it and, and be as progressive as we can. Um, and daily free games are just creative comping. Um, mm -hmm. But we believe that there's a lot of synergies between the, those two products as well. And so we really want to enhance the user experience on all aspects. We don't just want to be a wrapper for third-party content. Um, that's not particularly exciting or challenging. So mm. these two elements, if we reintroduce them, will be great, and we have no plans to build an affiliate platform. Sure. And what would you say is your key sort of competence in dealing with all the regulatory challenges? Is this, you know, the fact that you have all this data science in-house and can really uh, do your targeting well? Because everybody keeps just moaning about how difficult it is to do any kind of marketing or CRM in this market, you know, and, and you claim to be pretty successful at that. So what, what's the, you know, secret? I think I think 
I think we're also there is an element of luck. There's always a luck in this. So having one brand granted in a hostile uh, and mature regulatory environment is an advantage. If if we had uh, several brands in several different geos, I, I think our challenges would be completely different, and you know we wouldn't. Be in the position that we're in so keep in with one brand there's no there's no b2b to this business it's just one b2c product so i think that keeps everything lean everyone can focus on a single set of problems without getting overwhelmed your headcount is maintained um and it, I think it's, it, it goes back to the data and the technology piece so we have a real-time data feed of every single event in our platform which is over 250 data points streaming in. I have access to it where you can just see them just literally whiz by. Um, And that's nice and it's nice to look at and it's fancy, but you have to be able to analyze it. So data science has become a huge part of this business, huge. Um, But then you also need to be able to action on it. And when it comes to actioning, that's where the technology starts to take over from the data piece to say, okay, you want to, you want to show them this, you want to request this, you want to limit account activity, you want to disable deposits, you want to uh, disable increase of deposit limits but enable X, Y, Z. And so that piece needs to be extremely robust. Um, mm. And I think that's what we have where others don't have because of how late we were to the party. Yeah, so I wanted to say it's, it's a bit of luck, but it's also timing, you know, uh, uh, where you come in with all this technology that caters exactly to to the challenges that are introduced by regulation, right? But so you said now, you know, it's important that you had focus and you're doing B2C and one brand, a specific market, but, you know, with your deposit um, levels monthly, you're no longer a small startup. You, you're entering the, I would say, medium leagues. And I think it's also visible in your nominations this year. I think last year you were nominated for rising star this year it's a uh, slots operator of the year right and uh... Uh, we have slots operator in-house product uh, and there's another one which has left my head um but congratulations th- yeah. on that oh is the affiliate program sorry my yeah. head of acquisition would kill me if i didn't get that one. <laughs> well so yeah i i hope i you know i'm gonna keep fingers crossed that you win um some of these but what you know what's the next step because you've already been scaling and is the focus to keep growing in this market where you know you're really on your own turf and you know uh, you know the rules of the game, or are you going to follow the suit of others that you know expand geographically? Uh, there is uh, a lot of different challenging regulatory markets where mm-hmm. your technology mm-hmm. could also give you advantage. Um, and not let's not forget about the US and the hungry M and A you know folks. Uh, what's your view on that? In general, uh, on just on the US thing, uh, there's a there's a fairly famous um, saying from Warren Buffett, um, which is "Be greedy when others are fearful, and fearful when others are greedy," and that has always like kind of it. been the v- view that I've anchored to with regards to the UK. Whilst everyone is scared of the UK, that is your time to act, and whilst everyone is going a little bit crazy over the US because of its how you know in its infancy it is. That is your time to just hang back and just observe, uh, mm. and and we've we've taken the same philosophy there. And on the expansion, it's a bit tricky because we're we're very UK focused, and we we all know that the UK can be hostile and is likely to be unpredictable from both a B two B perspective and a B two C perspective. Um, 
So we, we need to kind of tread carefully. There are expansions for um, Canada. So we will be applying for an Ontario license. There is a pending MGA license. Uh, we have a big headquartered office in Malta, which is being put together now at the brew house. So there's there's plans for expansion, but we, we need to be respectful to the, the current business because you, you don't want to lose that focus. Um, mm. So it's incremental well, gains at this point. So, sometimes someone can help you with other areas of focus as well, right? There's there's strategic partnerships as well that I'm sure uh, you'll 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 be approached about, you know, considering because it is a really unique uh, story that that you guys have currently with this growth. Um, and this this takes me to my next question, you know, because when we talk, uh, our conversation vary from you showing me your latest TV ad uh, or the storyboards or you know some screenshots of your gains and. Um, you're a big company now. Uh, you're the founder. You're the managing director. Um, how do you split your time between all those different areas? Are you already at the stage where you've learned how to let go of things? No, no. It's <laughs> it's 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 by far by far my biggest problem, and I, I'm I'm. It's it's difficult because it's it's rare that you get to speak to founders who have gone through it without you know the, the, as an industry we're quite closed. And there's never really been mentorship. Uh, you hear it more and more these days, but there's never been someone to say, listen, you know, be mindful of this, watch out for that, make sure you have a balance of life, be healthy, all of that stuff. I I'm kind of learning on the job, much like uh, I'm, I'm sure they did as well. But time management, I would have to say, is is my biggest my weakest link uh, and I really, really want to get better at it. Managing inboxes, managing Slack, understanding who your next big recruits uh, should be. We've kept things very, very lean. So mm. 57, 60 people um, doing some kind of, uh, kind of very mature numbers, let's say. Mm. Um, that can be a good thing because you're lean and you have good profitability, but it can also be a bad thing. Uh, so you have to be able to look ahead and see what you need. Uh, I'm, I'm figuring it out. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm great at time management, but I just don't have enough I can time. Tell. <laughs> the management doesn't help me much with that. I need to also learn how to let go. But, you know, what you mentioned on mentorship is um, something I think it's worth highlighting in this podcast is that both me mm. and you feel strongly about the need for the industry to be more open for the founders to speak to each other, knowledge sharing, you know, challenges, discussion and so on. So we already have that ongoing conversation. I have that mm. similar conversation with um, Leo from Huddle, who is a sports betting start startup, you know, and I think if there was some facilitation of these conversations, this would be really great. I know you also um, have some personal mentors that, you know, from, from different stage of the companies that, that help you out. Um, tell me now uh, about the pandemic a little bit, because you've, you know, the pandemic has hit your team at the exact scale-up time. Uh, and how how did this impact on you guys? You, you know, you were just about to open an office in Malta. Um, you've got pretty decent office in, in the UK. And all of a sudden, all these people have to work from home. How, how did you manage um, through the pandemic? And what's your approach to the sort of working model now? Is it hybrid? Is it, you know, home-based? Mm. Uh, just on the point of um, time management, whenever I'm stressed about time management, I think of you uh, because <laughs> you take on way more than I feel like I'm taking on. So then I'm like, okay, it's not so bad. I don't have a podcast <laughs> yeah. and I don't have all these other things going on. Um, mine is just a purely work-life thing. Um, in terms of pandemic, yeah, it was it was um, 
we we kind of acted early on so i think things started to get pretty noisy at, at the initial stages around i think it was late april um and we uh, we made the decision around feb to cut all ties send everyone home uh and fortunately uh, I, I place myself very close to the development team in terms of their processes, in terms of their thinking, because I can relate to them that way. Uh, even like when we were sit, sat in the office, I would be in the middle of them so I could join in on the discussions and understand and learn. And they had daily stand-ups. They had retrospectives. Um, they were good communicators um, on uh, digitally, so Slack. They didn't have problems around where you were physically placed. And so at that point, I, by osmosis, I'd taken that in. I was like, right, we're all going to go home every day, CRM, acquisition, product development, split into all its different subcategories. We have stand-ups. I'll try and join all of them, um, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. It was just about uh, clear communication, not having conversations in the shadows and just being completely open with everyone about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And it's, 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 it's been something that we're not going to turn away from. So mm -hmm. there's a hybrid model now. I think the balance between work and, the, uh, well, office and working from home, I don't think is quite right for me. It, it's, it's fine. I'm here every day. Um, but people, I, I know from people, from talking to my Maltese team, they really want an office. Mm. Uh, they really want a creative space. They really want to be able to come up to someone else and just talk to them about uh, something that they're working on. And there's lots of exciting things in the background. Um, and they lack that. So we, it's still optional, uh, but the consensus seems to be I want a space for work and I want a space for home, but I don't want to completely abandon my freedom of my work-life balance. So we're, we're trying to accommodate. It's 2021. I, I get it. And I, I, I have to say, I'm seeing this um, also very clearly with my team, because, you know, when you're thinking of a remote only company, um, what comes to mind is all the savings on the office space in all these different countries. And it isn't the case because you need to reinvest this money into travel so that people yeah. can meet because it's very, very important to spend time with your team. And I can see such difference when we are brainstorming over Zoom versus when we meet, you know, on oh, the back of a it's... conference and so on. Yeah, so so every Wednesday, people who are here um, come to the office. They're not here now for various different reasons. A lot of people are on holiday as well. Uh, but when we're here, you can literally, it's it's kind of palatable, the, 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 the team energy. And I really, personally, I really miss that. And from talking to everyone, they seem to miss that too. You can, you can sense it, you can feel it. And I want to just reintroduce some of that and then also... Um, the novelty of everyone working in the same room, that's because obviously we're talking about a handful of the 60 people. Uh, so we're going to try and get everyone from all these different locations to one location and rather have like a big jolly. We have a hybrid of working and a jolly and also free time where you can do your thing because now it's a novelty to work in the same space together with all these faces, some of whom you've never met. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really excited about that. Mm -hmm. and, and tell me a little bit about your sort of um, 
team uh, strategy, recruitment strategy, because uh, I know you're very proud of your team as well and, and of your people, um, pretty low turnover, loyal people. What, what makes the, you the company that people do want to work for? And also explain to me a little bit the Linder Media versus Mr. Q, uh, so that when <laughs> someone does want to work for you, they understand that they'll be working yeah. with Mr. Q product. Um, people are everything. The, your team and who you work with and the, the, that, that culture um, is, is kind of everything. And cultivating it is part of the, the job now. Um, cultivating all of those philosophies, live and die by product, um, technology first, data. We don't th- always think like a casino. There's a time and place for that. But try and think differently about your problems and you'll be able to solve them in a better way. Um Hiring is hard. Hiring is hard for anyone. Um, recruiters, they, 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 I used to be very pessimistic about recruiters, but I have taken a completely different approach now uh, where I believe they can really add serious value to uh, a growing business and give you the right people. But I still try and have an interview with every single person and I'm trying to streamline that business. But it's it's a bit of a abstract sixth sense for does this person is this person right are they passionate passion is the big thing like in an interview if someone says if someone starts referring to us as we so they've included themselves in a like that's always a really good sign for me Mm. um and a lot of it is passion and, and experience and we have some seriously seriously good people good people as well um who are very competent. It, 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 you can be competent, but you can be a bad person. And mm. I don't think there's really a good place for those sort of people. It's interesting that at, at a level of 60 people, you still take part in interviews, but I, I you know, I, I'm at 10 and I still do all of this, of course, because I sort of believe that at the moment it's the employee choice uh, to come and work for you, not so much your choice to hire someone. So if you're not in this in interview at some point, you're missing out on the opportunity to sell your vision and sell your passion and really speak to them from sort of your heart, right? And this is what gets people wanting to work for you, at least this in my is, experience. Yeah, it's exactly that. Uh, uh, it's a great point to sell your vision. Um, and, and and I've always done that. I have a pretty good refined pitch now when it comes to recruitment. So showing them the product, again, which cultivates live and die by product and your philosophy towards good product. Uh, and when they see that, especially from a technology point of view, if you show a developer a Kafka stream of every single event coming into your system in real time, uh, usually their eyes, their eyes light up. Um, so I, I, I kind of... I take the chance every single time to do it, but I'm trying to figure out now how sustainable that can be. Can it be automated? Mm. Uh, can I keep doing this? Um, yeah. I'm still sure. undecided on that. I have a question now for you um, from the perspective of, you know, I, I am on a big mission to try to normalize sort of talking about being a founder together with the highs, mm. but also with the lows um, so that people know what they expect and they don't just shy away from trying to get on that journey you know um if you look at your sort of the journey you've gone through what would you say were the biggest surprises what, what was dif- what is different to what you have expected before embarking on it and what were the bigger challenges from from the founder perspective and the business perspective i guess it's um there's a level of naivety that um played its part if you set off to to build something can you think oh it's just you trivialize it um 
that can catch you out. And it's how you adapt to that once you realize, oh, it's not as trivial as I thought. It's actually quite challenging to to build software because you have to think about all these things that previously I hadn't known about. But gradually, as you creep that curtain of knowledge back and you start to realize about dependencies and kind of architecture when it comes to software development, you realize that you're 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 really deep at that point. Mm. Uh, so it's 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 having the ability to adapt, um, but I think also having a vision. We didn't just wake up and you know, make it up as we, we went along. We were like, okay, there is a problem here that we're not too keen on. Um, and we understand why there's a problem because these things were built a long time ago. But what would happen if you built it today? Would those problems that we have exist? And so then you start to formulate uh, a vision. Uh, and I think anchoring yourself as a founder to that vision and making sure that you steer everyone onto it, that is the biggest thing. And um, not losing focus because... Take the US, for example. It's very easy to get wrapped up in the US conversation. Mm. It's very easy to kind of look over them like, well, if I if I readjusted some of my focus and I made some compromises with my vision, I might be able to get a foot in the door and that could yield to X, Y, and Z. Um, but I think there has to be a level of discipline saying, no, this isn't doesn't sit in with what I wanted to achieve. It will come further mm. down the line at the right time. So there's mm. a level of discipline that, that has to come with the territory. Sure, sure. And in terms of personal traits, if you had to name sort of traits that people need to find in themselves when they want to embark on a founder journey, you know, from your experience, what, what would those be? I know that my, I know what mine are. Uh, my wife reminds me daily. My business partner <laughs> reminds me daily. Uh, impatient. I'm extremely, extremely impatient. I cannot wait for tomorrow. Uh, mm. And that can sometimes yield problems. Uh, but for the most part, if you can harness it right, and if you can think right, you can get stuff done. Uh, because I, I remember I was watching a, um, there's a good series on YouTube called Bit scaling or bit scaling businesses, uh, and it was one of from from the guys uh, who set up LinkedIn, and he gets a load of founders in, and they talk about how did you go from this to that, and we're talking about much bigger volumes. And Eric Schmidt, uh, who um, ran Google for most of its formative years, he was talking about when you release a product, um, think about the first iPhone, the first iPhone barely worked there was no app store there was no native apps it was just barely worked and so if you use that and just get stuff done as rough as it might be around the edges barely worked then you can just build on that and build on that and build on that and to the point where you have you know iphone 13 pro max and everything else so that impatience allowed me to do that because everything that we were pushing out the door i was like just ship it as rough as it is. Just ship it. Uh, we'll mm. fix it afterwards. It's, it's not like we have masses of customers and we're not spending as much as we are now. We'll fix it. Um, and it, it, I think it, I, it, it forces I developers. Yeah, it forces developers uh, to be like, well, oh, but it could be this. It could be that. Like, just get it out the door. We'll deal with it afterwards. Yeah, I totally need to make a note of that because I think that's going to be a big challenge for me, especially you know, with publicity that we created for ourselves. Comes the pressure of wanting to release a rock star kick-ass product from the beginning you know and then you know you can prolong it in time if you're going to want to get it perfect but uh, I, always before i was with 
you know, with you on the ship it. Just get it out and keep iterating on it, get it get it better yeah. with each iteration. So I'm gonna have to revisit that approach from the past because I think I'm focusing too much on my perfectionist approach right now. Yeah, the um, um, the Eric Schmidt podcast is uh, it's a video thing on YouTube. It's it's really, really good. And when you think about it and you think about what that first iPhone looked like, what Facebook looked like and all of these things, you go back to it and retrospectively they barely did just work. They don't do what they do now. Uh, so mm. there's there's a lot there's a lot in impatience, but um, you also have to have an element of oh I always want it to be better I want my process to yeah. be better I want my people to be better I want to you know there has to be a, a level of dissatisfaction uh, on some level at all times because perfection is unattainable you'll never mm. get to a point of perfection so then you get into a thing of I need to enjoy the journey mm. uh, I need to enjoy this part of it because I don't want to look back and regret. Um, my journey because one day it will end yeah sure sure and if I could ask you know I know, I know you guys have um, a very unique and sort of modern technology stack and, and a lot of sort of differentiators but is there anyone in the industry that you do look up to when it comes to sort of product offering or the more mature companies um, you know that already have made it to, to, to that uh, you know tier two tier one type of operator yeah, Kasumo. Um, Kasumo, I think, is uh, is a, a, an outstanding platform. Uh, and shout out to Shelley as well, because she, uh, although not the founder of Kasumo, she's really, she's been quite helpful and vocal uh, in certain areas when I've spoke to her. Um, Kasumo, I think, is very good. The branding was always exceptional. Uh, I think Gamesys as a, as a product, uh, having had their own bingo proprietary platform and the game studio side i always always took a leaf out of their book because they had this strong emphasis on let's let's own the most of the supply chain let's be the content provider let's also be the platform um mm. so I, i've always taken a leaf out of their book which has paid off uh, uh, recently for them as well. So uh, yeah. I'm going to start wrapping up because I've, I've learned already, I've analyzed sort of my podcast that uh, it is the, the, the perfect timing to wrap it around 30 minutes because people seem to not find more time in their diaries to watch. Um, is there, you know, any other thing that uh, you'd like to share at this moment? A part of, you know, come work for Mr. Q, we are the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, not really, not, uh, not, quite like that but we, we are in the process I, I, I didn't say earlier but we're in the process of going through we've gone through it of a rebrand and repurposing the entire product so our okay. plans for 2022 are to rip it all apart and rebuild it and that process has already happened and it's for this industry I think it's quite abstract to have a brand consultant to say who is your brand archetype? Who do you want to appeal to? What does that look like? Uh, what does that, uh, who, who would that be in the public eye if you were to kind of put a label on someone? Mm. And so it has been by far one of the most interesting processes I've ever been through. Uh, we actually worked with a company, Multiple Casual Business, and they guided us through the whole thing. And when I first set out, I was like, uh, this is a bit fluffy. Uh, and I was on the fence. To now, I'm like, this was really necessary. And I can't wait to reintroduce the product because everything up until now was, well, I like that. It looks nice. Let's go with that. And so you're mm. sitting on legacy design. And I, I really want our product to reflect what goes on behind the scenes, mm, uh, which yeah. is what most people talk about. So that's a big 
big upcoming it's not, for me. It's not going to be a, a change of name, right? It's just a change change of, uh, or will you change the name as well? We we won't change the name, but the entire branding and the entire style of everything changes. The, the debate was to change the name or to mm. reintroduce Mr. Q. Is it MRQ? Is it Mr. Q? Um, but we, we're, we're not really disrupting that too much. There, but there's a lot of aesthetical changes and sure. product changes. Sure. It's interesting that you have this experience because I, I had the exact opposite experience with brand consultants in the past. Uh, and I was always like, oh, my God, I can't stand all this yeah. fluff and all this, you know, going through stuff that I've known for the last 10 years. And now I almost need to educate someone about that to tell me what the brand should be. Uh, but I understand that in a B2C space, it's, it's very different. You're, you're right. You really need to know your customer. You need to appeal to them. Whereas in B2B at this stage, I was still quite comfortable just going. It's going to be called yeah. shared play. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh... definitely finger in the air mentality. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. the, 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 I think the thing is there's there's bad ones, brand consultants, and there's exceptional brand consultants. We yeah. had loads of workshops. We racked up tens and tens of hours collectively trying to figure out which space of the market we wanted to carve out, how we would go about it, what that looks like, what it sounds like. It was It was a really eye-opening experience. I loved it. Well, we can't wait to, to look forward. When, when, when will it relaunch? Where can you expect the rebrand? Uh, there'll be a reskin in, in Q1. And then as we gradually work through next year, that reskin will then re. It will become a different product. But for the moment, mm -hmm. we're just skinning everything to be this new design concept. Sure. Well, good luck with that. Uh, and again, Thanks. good luck with the upcoming awards. Um, I'll you. probably be at the event, so we'll be cheering for you. Um, and thank you very much for your time today. I think this is very, you know, honest and candid conversation, which are some of my favorite. Um, I'm, I'm glad you were open to share some of your experience. You know, you, you have a great thing going with your business and hope for the for the best still for the coming years with that. Thanks, Carolina. Can't wait to work with you and your product. Yeah, uh, hopefully soon. <laughs> Thanks, Abbas. Thanks.